And I think that that's where people are so frustrated and they're really impatient is that they want to just get good at shooting and editing in less than a month. And there's this phase where you need to fail for like a good couple of months and just train your eyes to know where the correct balance is at. Hey everyone, welcome to this week's episode of Photo Pros Weekly. I'm Brandon Heiss and I'm here again with Olivia Tuttle. This week, we're going to take a deep dive with Eli Infante. Now, Eli is a portrait photographer based out of the South Texas area, and welcome to the show, Eli. Awesome, man. Well, thank you guys for having me. I'm looking forward to the, uh, the interview. Awesome. Well, Eli, we always like to start off with folks and just kind of find out how you got into photography. Um, you know, was it a traditional path? Did you get a camera as a young uh, a young boy, or, or is it something that was introduced to you, you know, later on in your life? So how'd you get into uh, photography? So it was actually my senior year in high school. So I played basketball my freshman year, sophomore year, junior year. And it wasn't until my senior year where I decided to get out of basketball. And I got into this class, which was called multimedia and graphic design. And that's where I was introduced to Photoshop, video editing, 3D Studio Max, and that's what kind of jump-started me to get into photography was that Photoshop course. I actually was into Photoshop before photography, and that's what led me to end up picking up a camera so that I can manipulate images. I, when I first started off, I just loved taking pictures of anything, texture. And when I was first introduced to Photoshop, I was literally going through every single filter, every single menu, every single blend mode. I was just completely addicted to Photoshop when I first started. So you were killing, you were killing all your images. You were making them look like <laughs> crap, right? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You know, the, the good old overlay blend oh, modes, yeah. the invert and the, uh, artistic, uh, filters that they had back in the, uh, early two thousands. Uh, so for sure, man. And it wasn't until I got into, when I was in college, I took my photography class and I slowly started uh, getting into photography. I remember my first book that I bought was Scott Kelby's digital photography book. And this is before YouTube was a thing. I mean, you had to learn everything through books. There was no YouTube university. So it was a lot more difficult to learn. But I remember that was one of the first books that uh, that got me into photography. And then also Brian Peterson, there was another one on exposure. And I remember when I was first learning photography, it was so difficult to understand the exposure triangle because I'm a video guy. I'm a visual guy, but, you know, reading it in books, it, it took me a lot longer to learn sure. the whole exposure process. Well, good. That's that's interesting. And, uh, you know, how would you say your your photography career has, has grown since, uh, you know, the Photoshop uh, manipulation days when you're just, you know, trying every every filter under the sun? <laughs> uh, well... It wasn't until well, when I got hired as a, as a teacher. So if you all didn't know, I'm a full-time teacher. So I teach photography and video in high school. And as I was being asked to take more and more portraits at the school, because a lot of people don't, they don't understand is, yes, I work with models, but a majority of my work, even though I don't post it, it revolves around students, faculty members. And I soon had to start teaching myself, how do I communicate with, with subjects that don't normally get photographed, whether that be students or teachers. Teachers are the worst ones. <laughs> they are the ones that never want to get photographed. They're the ones that roll their eyes at me. I have to play it cool. Uh, I, I forgot who I was telling. I think it was in the B&H depth of field when I was, they were interviewing me. And I was telling them photography is about like 90% psychology and 10% technical because when you're working with people like teachers, you have to you know 
throw in jokes and keep them calm and try to get the picture done within like two or three minutes because they do not want to get, you know, photographed. So the progression was, you know, as I was teaching, I started getting into this portrait stuff. I was like, you know what, this is, this is pretty cool. Like I'm, I, I started off using, um, just little speed lights. I think the young UOs and then I was with the alien bees and I started hanging out with, you know, my friends and we just, I, I really got a passion for it about five to six years ago. So I've been really focused on this portrait style that I've been doing, which is the high speed sync off camera flash. It's been going on for about five to six years, but what led up to it was, was photographing the students, the teachers, and I do all of the sports as well at my, at my school. So from soccer to basketball to volleyball, you name it, powerlifting, that's where it kind of jump started to to where I am now, actually. Yeah, awesome. So so you're doing action sports photography, and then you're also doing portraits of. Are, are you mm-hmm. also the school photographer, where where you're responsible for yearbook, or is it, it does do you hire out for that? That's a that's a different uh, teacher. Um, so the, we do have a yearbook teacher, but I do help them out with a lot of the content, especially this year with COVID, because we don't have students on campus right now. And so the students are not allowed to go to the games and photograph. So it was basically left the yearbook teacher who that's a big responsibility. So I've been helping him out. I've been going to a lot of the games to go photograph. And I'm actually starting to have a little passion for sports photography. Um, it's something that I never do. And so it was, it's been really interesting going out there shooting, um, but also developing content like the, the portrait stuff that I was telling you about with the powerlifting, the volleyball, just giving the yearbook teacher extra content to put in the yearbook because this year out of all the school years is completely different than what we're we're used to yeah well that's interesting so so in in, and i think uh you being a teacher you know uh that's very interesting we you're the first teacher we've had on the podcast um but it makes sense that you're teaching photography now you mentioned something earlier about you know uh teachers are the worst and and they're they're difficult to (laughs) post And you said you have to work with them and, you know, what, what are some tips that you have for, for photographers? And I guess this doesn't just apply to, to teachers, but anybody who may feel uncomfortable or, you know, things like that. What, what are your tips uh, with working with those folks and, and making them feel comfortable and getting a great image? That's a fantastic question. So when I do work with clients or even teachers for that matter, I, I always try to play music for sure. So I always bring a JBL speaker. Um, I always – so if I'm, I'm working with a client – and for sure, the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to slow down and I'm going to talk to them. Even before I start busting out the camera, one of the easiest ways to get them to talk is just ask them, hey, what music do you like? And right off the bat, that's an easy conversation I can get into. So they're not thinking about the photo shoot. You're playing music that they like because the last thing you want to do is play music that you like. Right. And they have no interest whatsoever. You would, you would be surprised at how relaxed they start to feel with the music. You can start throwing in jokes. But as far as the teachers, the joke that I always say, whenever I photograph them, whenever they're coming into my room, I'm just like, okay, guys, it's only going to hurt for a little bit, okay? So I kind of <laughs> pretend like I'm a doctor and ne- never fails. They always start laughing and you can kind of just see the tension kind of just kind of dissipate briefly. Um, but you definitely, when you're photographing people like teachers, you know, I always like to crack jokes for sure. And I'm always trying to constantly be talking to them because and I've worked with with models, and they've told me this before. Sometimes they've worked with photographers where they don't talk at all, and it's the most awkward thing 
when the photographer is just shooting right and they're never talking back and forth it is so important and i think it's one of the most underrated skills and i think that that's why practicing is so important because a lot of people tell me it's like oh you like how are you getting like these awesome images all the time and so forth i'm like guys like trust me i've failed a bunch of times but because of the practice i already know where the light placement is going to be i already know my settings so reality when i'm setting up a shot i'm more focused on the communication and trying to get them to uh, pose exactly what I want. All the other technical stuff is in the, is, I'm not even thinking about that. I'm thinking all about communication and, and the pose and, at that point. And that's where that psych, psycholo- uh, I'm sorry, psychology aspect of, of the whole uh, photo shoot comes into play and, and why it is so important. It makes me wonder, I mean, I, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. Do you think you have to be a little bit more extroverted to be a, a, a photographer just in general? I don't think so, but I know for sure it does help. Um, and I think that you definitely have to respect the person and be present with them. And especially if they're if they're talking to you and they're opening up, because sometimes you can get somebody that's shy that does want to start having a conversation with you. And if you start ignoring them and you're panicking and looking at your settings, you come across as rude sometimes. So you need to kind of keep that eye contact with them need to have those facial expressions. I know that it's very difficult right now because with COVID, I'm having to wear a mask. And I always tell the models this, I'm like, one of the biggest uh, advantages that I have is I love to smile when I'm shooting, you know? And right now, (laughs) it looks like I'm very serious because of the mask right now. Um, But when we're able to shoot again without masks, you know, I'm always constantly smiling. I'm always constantly keeping that eye contact and always trying my best to keep present with them and not worrying about settings and so forth because I think that goes a long way uh, with making your your subject feel comfortable. Absolutely. Well, I think you need to get uh, one of those see-through masks that doesn't fog up. <laughs> you know, it's funny because somebody, one of my coworkers has one of those and it's just, it fogs up and I, I just, <laughs> man, I'm sorry, but it looks gross. It's, yeah. yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm with you. It kind of disgusting. So would you say that those um, connections with your models like inspires you and keeps you in photography? Absolutely. And, and not only does it keep me inspired, but it helps the, the models want to work with me again and also suggest me to other people, whether that be a makeup artist, whether that's a stylist or another friend that they might have. You wouldn't believe at how many people that I've been able to connect with because they had a great experience with me, whether that's a client, whether that's working with a model or even a makeup artist. Um, you always want to have your network um, in a strong um, environment because they're going to refer you to clients, models, and makeup artists. So you want to leave a good imp- first impression for sure. Now, Eli, let me jump a little bit to uh, your photography and some of the work that you're doing. If you're not following Eli on Instagram, I mean, you're missing out there. I, th- I think most people are following you these days. You've, you've got quite the following on, on Instagram. But I see a really cool variety of locations. You know, when I look through your Instagram page, is there one that stands out to you as a, as a favorite? I mean, you've, you've got a really – we I've been down there, down in uh, South Texas. I'll say McAllen, but South Texas. Um, mm-hmm. And you've got a very diverse, uh, you know, set of architecture, uh, environments. You know, we filmed at, a, at an abandoned uh, – 
I don't even know what that was. What was it, an abandoned factory almost? <laughs> yeah, I would call it an abandoned factory so, for sure. But do you have a favorite? I mean, you've got so many cool looks oh, uh, in, in your work. Anything that comes to mind as, as a favorite location or, or, or maybe just more so what you tend to, to you know, be attracted to? Is it, is it you know, bright colors in the background? Is it, uh, um, you know, diffused lighting setups? You know, uh, what, what, what keeps bringing you back for, for, and keeps your attention and keeps you excited about, about your work? So for sure, there's two things that I'm always looking for. That location that you're talking about, the FAR location, it was it was in FAR and it was an abandoned, I guess we'll call it a f- factory. But whenever I'm looking for locations, what I'm looking for is as much variety as possible, but also areas that I can use to set the base for a pose. Um, I think that's like the most important thing when I'm looking for locations is like, where can I place my subject? Could they be leaning on something? Could they be sitting on something? Could they possibly lean on something? Or can I use geometric shapes? And that far location is one of my favorites. But the one, that, as you were asking me that question, the one that jumped out to me was actually one that I did in McAllen. And it was across a, a park. And it was just this abandoned lot. I've never seen anybody photograph there. And what was cool about it is that it had this little platform of like cement that you could use. It had some cactus. It had some tall grass. And it's still, to this day, one of my favorite photo shoots because we styled it, but it offered so much variety because it was a tree that was kind of uh, broken down. And um, if you look at some of my work, it's the girl with, it's Fernanda, actually. She was there when we did the the Westcott when you guys came down to film me. It was actually one of the first times I worked with Fernanda, but she was wearing this beige hat and this beige suit. And I styled that entire outfit um, but I got lucky also because that location, what's great is that there's there was some tall grass as well. And if you've seen my work, you know that I love beautiful sunsets. And so this specific location, not only did it have enough variety with the cement platform, that's where I started off. And I started off with a couple of, of poses there. And then I moved to the tree, which is still to this day, one of my favorite all-time photographs where she's sitting on the tree and she has some flowers in her hand. And then we moved to the tall grass and I specifically set up those shots in that order, knowing that I was just praying that hopefully we were going to get an awesome Texas sunset. And sure enough, we did. And so I had her sit down and on that specific shot, what I loved about it is that going back to the sunset, I always look for locations where there's not going to be any distractions in the background. Typically, sometimes you'll have wires in the background, poles, houses, buildings, this one was a clear, beautiful sunset, and it was probably, and it's funny, me and my friend Marco talk about this still to this day, that that was probably one of the best sunsets that we've ever seen, and I captured my second, one of my second all-time favorite shots there, and I remember the Sony um, Alpha Universe, the blog, they actually reposted that, and they made a blog about that photograph, so I was really proud about that, so I think that location is probably one of my all-time favorites because I've only used it about twice. Um, but something about that location that day specifically, just everything seemed to work out perfect. And it was just like three random little spots all close connected with one another. So if you want to see those pictures, if you check the Instagram, my Instagram, I have those pictures. And then I think I even made a YouTube video talking about that location as well. So if you're watching on YouTube, uh, we'll make sure we, we show those photos. If you're uh, listening, uh, make sure you check the YouTube video and uh, you'll be able to see those at this point in time. 
So, Eli, are you a prop guy? Do you like implementing props with with your subjects when when you're shooting portraits, or are you what, what's your what's your stance on that? Absolutely, um, that's a big part of my workflow. And going back to working with subjects, whether it's a a model, whether that's a client, giving the hand something to do is super important. Um, one of my client shoots that I did, he was actually one of my students. He was a senior. And uh, he brought instruments. He loved playing music. So he brought a microphone. He brought his like little mini piano. I don't know what the actual instrument's called, but this little mini piano. And uh, those are actually some of my favorite uh, client shoot photographs. But it just helps the subject feel more relaxed. And any time that I can, depending on the theme, I'm definitely going to try to do props. And speaking of which, today... I'm actually going to go to do a photo shoot out at uh, Sal del Rey. And uh, me and Marco went out shopping yesterday. We went to Hobby Lobby. And what's cool about this, this Sal del Rey location is that the water's really thin out there. And it's just, it's perfect for wide shots. We're just hoping today we get this beautiful, awesome sunset. And she's, we're going to use this red dress, but we were like, we need something. So going back to the question about the proper, like, we just don't want her standing there in the water. Like that's, that'll be a cool shot, but how can we elevate this? How can we make it a little bit easier on her and ourselves to give her something to do? So what we do, we did is we bought this long fabric. So she's going to be holding this long red fabric as she's out there. And so that's going to give the image some motion and that's going to give her hand something to do. So we'll see uh, what we come up with later today. I'm super excited for that photo shoot. Well, it also, awesome. it also brings up to a point, like if you have a prop, you know, he said his most important thought when he's you know, looking for a location or what he desires in a location is 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 a base something that that uh, a subject can pose on or pose around and that's where I think props are really valuable it gives models sometimes things to do with their hands yeah I um, think it would mm-hmm. relax them a lot more too yeah absolutely Abs- there's Absolutely. nothing nothing worse than an uncomfortable model who, yeah. who doesn't, you know, we all know the, the the phrase from the models, what do you want me to do with my hands? <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh, that's, exa- that's exactly what I was going to say, Brandon. And, you know, so, and one of the things, if you're going to use a prop, don't think that you have to use it the whole photo shoot, you know, use it where you feel like maybe you're running out of ideas and you just kind of have that extra little toolkit there. Like, oh, you know what, let's just try it out. Do use it for a couple of shots to break up the redundancy and then just take it out if you if you don't you know want to use it for the whole shoot. So those are just some things to think about. Absolutely, well, good stuff. So Eli, I'm looking on your Instagram page and I see that you actually have a workshop coming up that you're going to be out on the road mm-hmm. and uh, doing some teaching. Tell us a little bit about that. Tell us what that's about, and uh, you know, are there still openings for some of those classes? So I am doing my first summer workshop tour outside of Texas. So for the past two years before COVID, we did one in Houston and we did one in San Antonio. We were going to do Dallas, but that's when COVID came in and boom, we had to cancel it. Uh, But this is the first time we're going to go to Chicago. We're going to go to New York. We're going to go to L.A. and then also Dallas. And so I've been working really hard on all of the presentation slides for that um, that workshop. So it's going to be an off-camera flash workshop where you're going to learn high-speed sync. Um, I'm also going to start talking about different things like colored gels because that's something that I kind of want to get better at and, and include. And you, you'll notice it a lot in my most recent work. I'm slowly throwing in some colored gels just to mix it up. 
I've been working with some different modifiers too. I've been working with projectors. So I do want to make sure that I include some of that in the workshop and then also some studio stuff. I recently just uh, got a studio about, uh, about four or five months ago. So I'm slowly incorporating some studio work also in my work. So it's going to be kind of covering a lot of different content from high speed sync to studio to also color gels. And so day one, all we do is focus on, on shooting. So we'll have plenty of models and Every time I do a workshop, I always make sure that day one, we're just jam-packed with a bunch of shooting and a bunch of um, different light setups. And then day two, we just focus all on editing. So we're going to get into frequency separation. We'll get into dodge and burn and some color grading. And then on this specific workshop, I'm also going to be talking about some advanced uh, dodge and burn techniques that I don't share on YouTube. So there's things that are just exclusive for this workshop. So I know a lot of people reach out to me about doing one-on-ones with the editing. And I've been telling people I'm reserving some of this exclusive content only for the workshop. So yeah. really cool. Yeah, no, I, I saw that and I was excited to see you uh, spreading your wings a little bit, getting out of Texas and uh, sh- sharing all your hidden secrets that, that make you, makes your work so good. Awesome. Yes. And so I'm, I'm ex- like I said, I'm excited and, uh, Going, I think you had asked earlier if we're almost sold out. I know Dallas is pretty much almost sold out. I think we have maybe about, I want to say one or two spots left in Dallas. I know Chicago has maybe about four or three. New York, same thing, about three or four. And then Los Angeles is about four or five. So we're, we should be selling out pretty soon. All right. Well, we will, uh, I'm sure after people listen to this, you're, you're going to. Have, fill uh, those spots. Yeah, yeah fill up <laughs> some more You'll have spots. a waiting list. Yeah. You'll have a waiting list <laughs> mm-hmm. after that. So. so being in Texas, uh, what are your hobbies? I mean, they have good barbecue, right? Ooh, yeah. Ooh, we got good barbecue down here. So <laughs> actually going back to my specific hobbies, believe it or not, I love to cook. Um, I love cooking. And so one of my favorite things to cook is, is salmon. I love salmon and uh, chili. My parents, oh, every single time, they're always telling me to make my chili. And I always make it like around winter time. Winter time. We don't really get a lot of uh, cold weather 75, here. 75 degrees <laughs> yeah. down there in McAllen. So we panic here. When it's 40 degrees, 30 degrees, Every all the parents, faculty at my school were like, should we cancel school? Should, should we start late? It's it's 40 degrees, guys. We, we panic. You know, I, I know in Ohio, that's probably like nice weather for you guys. But over here, we panic. <laughs> we freak out. Uh, and to put it in perspective, he is in Texas. And when we say South Texas, you can almost spit into mexico i mean (laughs) that's how close uh he is you you know when we went down there you see the palm trees i mean you you almost feel like you're you're in cancun i mean there's no resorts but you get the point it's it's uh it's warm so yeah there's some locations that i've photographed where you can see the border wall like oh right there that's cool yeah wow Mm -hmm. wow there's one it's called the hidalgo pump house and you'll see the the border wall right there no kidding well, mm-hmm. yeah, so so you're, you cook salmon. What do you like to eat? You like to eat barbecue, though? I mean, Olivia oh. mentioned barbecue. Oh, yeah. What, what was that place we went to? They had some pretty good barbecue. Oh, the uh, Philadelphia. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. Yeah. No, barbecue is real popular down here. Speaking of barbecues, actually, my dad just cooked out yesterday. So my dad, he's the one that handles all the barbecue and the cooking and stuff. But man, you can't go wrong with some fajitas and some... Uh, Chicken fajitas. Do you guys have that, or do you guys? What do you guys call like your meat over there? Oh man, the fajitas. Oh, we call it fajitas. Here. I just Ooh, don't have rice the and beans, accent like you. We have Taco Bell 
Uh, oh, come on, Brandon. Don't tell me that. Come on, man. <laughs> I kid. I kid. No, no. Yeah, fajitas. I mean, that's, that's, uh, yeah, of course. We got fajitas. What do you think we're living like in a cornfield where all we can eat is burgers and potatoes? <laughs> okay, let me ask you this. What, what are things in Ohio that are like your staples over there? You know, compared well, to Toledo, here in South Texas, you know, fajitas, Toledo's the garbage, a weird place. what are your staples yeah. out there in Ohio? Uh, Toledo has this weird, and I think it trickles down from Detroit, uh, this weird obsession with like Coney Island, like hot oh, dogs no. and oh. chili dogs and, and things like that. It's delicious but yeah weird. i mean it's terrible for you um <laughs> you know you'll have a heart attack if you eat that stuff every day at, at age 40 but um that's kind of i think what I, I don't know can you think of anything else that, just the american food i would say yeah i mean tr- traditional yeah. you know everything everything else i mean i love to barbecue i love to, yeah i mean it's probably not texas barbecue it's not like that that uh open pit you know slow cook uh, it's it's me going out with a beer at night and 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 flipping hamburgers, <laughs> yeah. and steaks and chicken yeah. and you know all the traditional stuff. Pouring the some basics. beer on it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Pour, pour a little beer on it. See if it <laughs> makes it taste any better. <laughs> so that's funny. No, yeah, it's it, the food in Texas. There is uh, something special about. It. I, I like the Austin uh, oh, yeah. barbecue and mm-hmm. even the North Texas, like the Dallas Fort Worth kind of barbecue it's it's really good down there mm-hmm. well cool so um let's let's kind of wrap up here a little bit we have a, a few little quick fire uh questions for you eli if you if you wouldn't mind answering awesome just kind of say as short as possible you, no, no explanations really needed what is one thing that you always like to have available to you in a gear bag like something you couldn't leave uh you know the home without Ooh, gear bag. Hmm. It depends. If we're talking about models, safety pins. You need to tighten up the clothes. I always make sure I have those packed. Safety pins. Excellent. Mm-hmm. That's a good tip. Um, when, when's the first time you ever used artificial lighting? How many years ago? Six years ago. Six years ago. And so how how soon into your into when you were serious about photography how soon was that was that two years into your photography or when did you when did it click that you, you really loved artificial lighting about four years ago that's when i first started doing high-speed sync mm-hmm. okay very cool um do you have a most memorable photo shoot oh man you know i'm gonna have to go with the one with uh, betsy the orange theme where she's wearing uh, drinking the orange soda she has it close to her right. mouth um, styled that entire shoot and that location wasn't even supposed to happen. It wasn't even supposed to have the little soda. It was supposed to be a raspa, but it was so... Oh, people might not know what raspa is. Uh, snow cone. Explain. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, snow cone. We call them raspas here. Um, but we wasn't even supposed to have that prop. It was a last-minute thing that I went to go get that soda can. And then it wasn't even supposed to be that location either. It was just a backup location and one of my all-time favorite photographs. Very cool. Um, if you could photograph anyone dead or alive who would you photograph Ooh, man i would say the lead singer of radiohead tom york very cool and uh the last one the best piece of feedback and if you want to elaborate you can best piece of feedback that you've ever received on your photography can you say that again can you say that again brennan the best feedback that you've ever received on your photography whether it be you know uh, 
constructive criticism. Yeah, critique or something, you know, something positive. So best feedback would probably be the the colors uh, in my images. I think that that's one of the things that as people always talk about my work, they're always talking about how three-dimensional and how the colors pop. So that's something that I've always just admired when people give me that feedback. All right. Without giving away all your secrets, though, how do you make that happen? I mean, because it's it's uh, it's true. Color, color is it is it post? You know, everybody probably asks you, "Are you doing that in post?" And and I know you're not because you've shown some examples of here's something straight out of camera. Here's here's the final piece. Tell me how you get the look, the famous Eli Infante look uh in in your work without giving away all your secrets because i want people to still come to your classes and and watch your youtube videos so high speed sync is is definitely very very important in that process because you're able to expose for the background and the subject at the same time so that's already going to give you that three-dimensionality and then of course there's going to be some some post-processing aspect to it as well you know bringing out the colors but I think the biggest thing is training your eye because a lot of people, when they think of, oh, bring out the colors, they think of like, oh, I'm going to bring up the saturation and it looks almost too fake. And so you need to kind of train your eyes. And it's taken me like a year or two to really train my eye to know what the limits are of pushing it when it comes to color editing and also just like skin retouching. There, There needs to be a nice balance between the two. And I think that that's where people are so frustrated and they're really impatient is that they want to just get good at shooting and editing in less than a month. And there's this phase where you need to fail for like a good couple of months and just train your eyes to know where the correct balance is at. Well, and I, I you think you bring up a good point. I think people think there's a magic recipe or an action that you can apply to oh, any yeah. situation. And that's just not, you know, it, it's like when somebody asks me, um, all right, I got this strobe. I got the FJ400. Uh, what settings should I should I put my my camera on, and what stre- settings should I put my strobe on? Well, uh, what's your ambient? I mean, what's what's the scene presenting? It's how's the scene presenting itself, and and that's gonna dictate a lot. And then also, what's your vision, right? Exactly. You know, sometimes you want a, a wide depth of field, sometimes you want a shallow depth of field. So um, there is not a single uh, one stop answer uh, for that. And same thing with with post you know that's your years of of you know just muddying images up with all those filters and and photoshop that that has allowed you to kind of you know practice and and see what the limits are so that's uh absolutely i see editing very similar to to shooting right absolutely absolutely well cool so eli thank you for your time today uh if anybody wants to see some of your work, uh, where can people find you? You can find me on Instagram at Eli underscore Infante underscore. You can find me on YouTube at Eli Infante, or you can also visit my website, EliInfante.com. And uh, at the very least, if you're not following Eli, if you're you're the one person listening who's not <laughs> following on Instagram, <laughs> make sure you do that. But I know you've been a lot more active on your YouTube uh, channel lately, which, which I'm enjoying because you're, you know, you can look at a, a, an Instagram post and kind of like it and, you know, then you're on to the next thing, right? But mm-hmm. to fully see how Eli is doing some of these cool uh, images, you know, that YouTube page is, is really kind of taken off. So uh, make sure you give Eli a follow over there. Okay. Awesome. Thank you. Well, thank you all. That's the uh, end of today's Photo Pros Weekly. We will see you next week 
with a new guest. Have a good week.